Well, if you haven't been with us the last couple of months, um, we've been going through uh, an ancient Christian doctrine called the Apostles' Creed. The Creed was created in the second century AD and was uh, originally used as a profession of faith for someone who was being baptized into uh, what was then a very small band of followers of Christ. So it's a, it's a concise summary of the tenets, basic tenets of the Christian faith uh, that people would memorize and recite long before uh, anybody had a copy of what we all kind of take for granted, which is a New Testament. So would you please stand and we'll go ahead and recite the creed together today as we dig into this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So over the past two months, we've covered two parts of the Trinity. We began first by looking at God. Right, the, the Lord Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And so in that line, uh, it tells us a lot about the nature of God, who he is, what he came to do. And then we spent an extended period of time taking a look at um, the second part of the Trinity, his son, Jesus. We looked uh, at a lot of things about him and how he was conceived. Uh, we saw that he was both miraculously conceived and also naturally born. So he's both fully divine and fully human. We took a look at the fact that he suffered, he uh, died, was crucified, died, buried, um, rose, uh, ascended, and that he's coming back, he's seated at the right hand of God, and then coming back, we looked last week, um, to judge the living and the dead. So we covered a ton of information about Christ, and today we've arrived at the third and probably most mysterious member of the Trinity, um, the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, when we say today, I believe in the Holy Spirit, what does that mean exactly? So that's what we're going to dive in today. And the writers of the creed really didn't do us any favors. Because if you notice, it said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and that's it. Didn't give us any of the, all the stuff that it gave about uh, God. It gave, it gave us a little bit, the Father, and then a ton of stuff about Christ. So we're going to have to unearth and dig up some of this stuff ourselves, find out a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is, what he came to do uh, for us. So... We recently did a, a series on the Holy Spirit, I don't even know when, within the last couple of years, and during that time I kind of made the comment that the Holy Spirit is kind of like the weird uncle that shows up at the family reunion, right? Like everybody knows that technically he's supposed to be there, like we're related to him, but nobody really wants to, to talk to him or engage with him very much. So kind of like that weird uncle, uh, for many Christians, the Holy Spirit just kind of seems easier to ignore altogether. And a lot of Christians do, honestly. But we're not going to do that um, because he's way too critical for our journey uh, with God. So we're going to turn to Scripture and see what we can figure out. Um, but before we begin in the text today, I want to clear up something from the very beginning that's very important for us to all kind of assent to today. And that is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not a thing. 
The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost like Casper the ghost. Okay, the Holy Spirit is a person like God and Jesus are people. So right in the middle of the Gospel of John. So Jesus is going along through his earthly ministry here, these three years of ministry in his adult life. Right in the middle of the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus begins telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and die. And for the disciples, even though maybe they knew that's what the Savior was supposed to do at some point, this kind of comes as a shock to them. It's kind of like they just got hit in the gut and they're doubled over. And while they're doubled over, Jesus goes, bam, one of you is going to betray me. Bam, one of you is going to deny me. And the disciples are reeling and, and freaking out a little bit. Because for one thing, they don't really understand what he's talking about. I mean, for them to imagine that with the popularity and the crowds Jesus was attracting, that in just a little bit of time he was going to be brutally crucified by the Romans, I mean, that was inconceivable at the time. So they, they, they don't know how it's going to happen, so they're confused about that. But they're also confused about Jesus keeps talking about this kingdom that he's bringing. And how are they going to develop this kingdom without him. If he leaves, well, what does that mean for this movement? And so there's a lot of unknowns there. And so Jesus is sensing their confusion. So he attempts to, to comfort some of their fears. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. It's page 982 in your pew Bibles. John chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 15 through 27. So follow along here. It says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So in this moment where they're feeling this kind of intense sense of abandonment by Christ, Jesus promises them his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So in saying we believe in the Holy Spirit, we are saying that God will continue to be true to his word. You see, from the very beginning, God has been telling his people time and time again throughout scripture, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
The Holy Spirit is God's current provision to fulfill that promise. Okay? Jesus says the Spirit will be in us. He will make his home in us. The very presence of God Almighty. Not with us, not beside us, but in us. That's why Paul wrote and he said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay? He dwells in us. Do we believe that? Do we believe that through faith in Christ and through his death and resurrection on our behalf to forgive us from sin, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts? Do we believe that we are one with him? You see, oneness with God then is not something we have to strive for through our best efforts at good behavior. Let me say that again. Oneness with God is not something we have to strive for through our best efforts at good behavior. It's a gift. It's a gift with family ties because God says that he adopts us into his family. He loves us like a good father loves his children, so we're no longer spiritual orphans. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Now, many of you guys know that um, Kristen and I uh, adopted a boy named Xavier from Ethiopia. And we don't know a whole lot about his first few months of his existence. We know that he was abandoned about two to three weeks old and then taken to an orphanage. And um, we would assume that there were probably a lot more kids than caretakers there. Um, When we were matched with him, um, when he was five months old, this is the picture that we, uh, the first picture we had of Xavier. Um, So those of you that have adopted, you know, when that picture comes on that computer screen. It's pretty unbelievable. So at that point, at five months, he was transported to um, an orphanage run by the agency that we were paying money to here in the United States. And so there he would get, you know, better food, better medical care, better attention, blah, blah, blah. So when we went to Ethiopia the first time, he was nine months old. So we walked into the orphanage and into the nursery part of that, and there were eight bunk beds lining the wall in a room with eight babies in them with one caretaker. So even though that was probably better than the situation that he was in, you know, if you're a parent, eight on one, not a good ratio, right? And so there's no way that he was being loved and cared for like he was going to be loved and cared for by a parent one-on-one or two-on-one, so to speak. So one of the things that we noticed when we brought him home at 11 months is that Xavier didn't cry very much, and it was especially hard for us to know when he was getting, because later on we found out he was having ear infections quite often. So our older daughter, Kylie, had ear infections when she was a baby, and when she had ear infections, she screamed bloody murder like all night long, and it was horrendous. And so here we've got this kid who's got ear infections that's not making a sound, and so we would like see him like touch his ear. That was it. And we're like, oh my gosh, we better take him to the doctor, right? He's horribly sick. So Xavier had conditioned himself probably through months of being at the orphanage where he was crying and people weren't able to respond because probably a bunch of babies were crying at the time. So he just kind of stopped crying. Um, So it it was a different experience for him to have somebody respond to his needs. It's kind of like the life we all had before we found Jesus, We were spiritual orphans 
and life was coming at us pretty hard. Some of us experienced some deep wounds and some tragic things that happened in us in our life. Many of us struggled to feel cared for and loved, especially when we were at our worst. We talk a lot about adoption and foster care around here, if you haven't picked that up yet, but mainly because there's nothing worse than feeling alone. There's nothing worse than feeling abandoned, unloved, like nobody cares for you. So the very essence of the Holy Spirit's work is to be a very personal and intimate reminder to all of us that God loves us. He's with us. He's for us in every way. He's near to us, and he hears our cries. Look at how Paul describes it in in Romans 8, 15 through 17. He says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You just leave that up there for a minute, Brandon. That's pretty powerful. When you guys read that, how does that speak to you? What does that say to your heart? Any thoughts? Yeah, Nick. I think it's interesting that we, it says we uh, shouldn't live in fear, and then it also says that there's, we're going to share in the suffering. So it's in fact saying we shouldn't fear suffering. Mm. I think, for me anyway, it's not how I operate. Yes. <laughs> So he says that he doesn't give us a a spirit of fear, but he also promises us sufferings if we're really following him. So he's saying that there shouldn't be fear in suffering, which seems very hard for our minds to wrap around. That's really good. Why shouldn't we experience fear? Because what? What's the promise? He's with us, right? His spirit's there. What else? Anything else in terms of just how this promise hits you this morning? Yeah, Justin. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an amazing analogy there, picture. So you think about a king who's the greatest king, the king of kings, right, who who's, has everything. And, and you think that he has this son that he would love deeply, obviously, that is the heir of everything that the father has. And then all of a sudden the father starts inviting everybody in from town <laughs> to come to live in the castle, right? 
Even the, the worst turds in town you can think of, right? The most rotten kids and, you know, but that they get forgiveness and they come into the house. And then, and then God subdivides everything that he has with all of them, treating every dirty scoundrel that comes through the door just like he does his own son. And that we're heirs to that. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So there's talking about just this communal piece, you know, that as, as the Holy Spirit uh, comes together, that there's power and, and uh, just life in the midst of that. Sometimes when I'm not as in tune with the Spirit as I should be and I come to church and I hear other people and I hear their spirit sing, right, it does something, it awakens my consciousness to my, the Spirit that's in me and reminds me of who's here. And we need community to do that for us. Those are great observations. You guys, when you know you're in a great family, there's a joy that comes with that. There's a joy that comes, especially if you remember the life you used to live, the orphan existence you once endured. Maybe some of you can relate to that, desperately praying that something or someone would satisfy your heart cry and your heart thirst within you. Because we all know how fragile life can be. Because guys, everything in this world is temporal and can be taken from us. Everything. My wife of 27 years, my kids, my possessions, my health, my job, all of it's tenuous. They're all up for grabs in this universe. I can't control the forces of disease or death or the economy, or nature, <laughs> when a tornado decides to come through town, or a flood, or I can't control any of that stuff. And in the midst of this volatile, temporal world we live in, broken as it is by sin and the fall of man, God reminds us throughout Scripture of the one thing, the one commitment that we can count on, and that's his commitment to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, Paul wrote this. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He put his spirit into us as a deposit, saying, That one right there, that's mine. And they're going to get to share in everything that's to come, the eternal life that we're going to have with him. Back in, passage, in the passage we looked at in John 14, Jesus describes his provision of the Holy Spirit like this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. The Holy Spirit is called our comforter, our advocate. Now I want us to pause right there. 
And I want to ask us a question that we've been asking every week as we've been going through this series, and that's this question. In relationship to today's topic, it would be this. If we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, then what should our life look like? What should our life look like? And remember, this peace isn't granted to us circumstantially. Whatever might change in this broken world that we live in, the peace that comes from our adoption as sons and daughters is secure. Now, luckily, there's a fairly easy biblical answer to this question this morning of what your life should look like if you say you believe in the Holy Spirit. And that answer is something that most of you guys know. And what is it? Well, if I say I believe in the Holy Spirit, Paul says there ought to be fruit of the Spirit evident in our life. So just as a reminder, here's Galatians 5.22. Paul wrote this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the result of the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives ought to be that our lives ought to be yielding some measure of growth in those areas of our character. As we follow Christ over the years, we ought to become more of all of those things because of the Holy Spirit's presence in us, in theory, right? Now today, guys, I mean, there's a million paths I could go on today with I believe in the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us. I don't have enough time. I'd have to do 10 sermons on that, okay? So today I want to step a little bit out on a limb, and I want to highlight two of those qualities today, two of those fruit of the Spirit, and those are joy and peace. Now the Holy Spirit is the fullness of God in us, okay? So we have complete and full joy, complete and full peace at our disposal whenever we want to live from it. It's there perfectly inside us, right? Can I hear a yes? Yes, okay? If we have Christ in us and the fullness of him is there, Now, those two qualities are on my heart today and have been for a while because of the drastic increase in anxiety and depression and suicide in our culture over the last five to ten years, even among Christians. And I was sitting in my office this week kind of talking about this message and what God was kind of laying on my heart, and I was talking with Justin, and I was like, Justin... How many Christians or what Christians in your life right now are you around whose joy inspires you? And we kind of looked at each other for a while, and we were having a hard time coming up with much of a list. That's pretty sad. (laughs) Now, there are a ton of factors that affect our level of joy and peace in life. And one of the just very thin layer of answer for this is that people express joy in different ways, right? I'm kind of a little bit of a stoic person, so my joy is not like rah-rah joy, okay? My joy is more like just contentment, right? This deep sense of just peace and contentment in my life. So what joy looks like to me and somebody else might look completely different. So let me say that from the start. 
Another different thing that could, could factor into this for us is that some of us have some just chemical things going on in our bodies that may lean us more towards anxiety and depression um, that make it hard for us to experience peace and joy in our life. And it's completely out of people's control. Another factor that we might have to figure in here is this. Some people have experienced a deep trauma or grief in their life where it seems like anxiety and depression are kind of a constant companion. Some of us have personalities or temperaments that naturally kind of skew our um, perspective towards a melancholy spirit or view on life. And I've got a ton of just sympathy for folks, and if any of those are you, because I know that that's not who you want to be, and I know you'd rather not be dealing with those things in your life, and I know that sometimes you know that it kind of sucks some joy and peace out of your life. But I also know that people who deal with those variables are the exception, and so it makes me wonder, shouldn't there be more joy and peace exhibited in our lives if the Holy Spirit resides in us? Shouldn't we, followers of Christ, the church, be people who are kind of bucking the trend in our culture right now? And so I've been asking myself, what's missing? What's missing? And before I give my theories, (laughs) I'd like to just get some of your thoughts. What's missing? Why do you think our culture continues to kind of bend down this road of anxiety, depression, suicide? Oh, sorry. I don't know who's talking. There you are. Okay. Okay. We build our identity identity around things we cannot control. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we spend more time focusing on material things than on our spiritual life and development. Oh, sorry over there, Phil. Yes. Okay. Okay, so we, we have many more things in our culture now that pacify our needs, that kind of keep us enough satisfied that we don't really long for something else. Is that basically it? Yeah. Yes, Chris. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. With media, right, we all know what's going on. Like, guys, the world's always been horrible. This is not new news, okay? It's always been horrible, but back in our time, there used to be three channels telling us about how horrible it was, right, when I grew up. Now there's 50, 100 channels telling you how horrible everything is, and you can pick it up and see it. It flashes on your screen. Amber Alert, somebody's been taken. You know, it's like you can't run from it. It's just bombarding you. All that stuff was always going on. We just didn't know about it all the time, 
Okay, so that adds a layer of anxiety and fear and all kinds of stuff, right? Good. Yes. Physical gratification over what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Continual desire of instant gratification through material things. Okay. Good. We could probably go on. You guys had those great answers. Okay. Guys, I would say this. To remember our true identities, people who are adopted children of God, temples of the Holy Spirit, right? The very essence of God's presence living inside of us, in order to remember those things, takes solitude. It takes solitude. There has to be space in our lives to remember who we are. You have to have time to not be distracted by the things of this world. You know what robs joy from me? Having to stop and take a picture or a video of everything that's supposed to be bringing me joy. Sometimes I just want to sit quietly in the moment and take it all in and kind of enjoy God's creation or the people I'm with without somebody in my group thinking about how we're going to post how much fun we're having, right? I'm like, I'm having fun now before we take the picture. I'm, this is great for me, right? I don't need to let the world know what I'm doing all the time. That robs joy for me. <laughs> but guys, when I take time to reflect on who I once was apart from Christ and who I now am because of Christ's work in my life, I can't help but be filled with joy. And I know, I'm sure Nick and Wyatt or whoever else is singing up here will see me singing sometimes on Sunday morning and will just see this smile come across my face because it's just like, I know who I once was and what I deserved, and I know how Christ broke into my life and saved me, and I can't help but be filled with joy about that. But it takes time and space. I'm not like that all week, right? When you see me at Panera, as the joke goes, right? I don't always have a smile on my face. It takes time. It's great to be in community, as Randy talked about, and it it brings up, it reminds me of the joy and the peace I should be having when sometimes I forget it. I was reading an article this week about why more Christians aren't experiencing joy, and the author said that a main reason is because we're trying to live with one foot in both worlds, one foot in the earthly realm and one foot in the heavenly realm. And I like the song we sang earlier today. It's everything or nothing at all. The author wrote this, talking about those folks. He says, they hedge their bets. They call on the name of Christ, but they still try to find security, satisfaction, pleasure, and fulfillment from this world. They're riding the fence, and they're not happy. I think it's an issue of misplaced desire. Some of you guys have mentioned that this morning. Psalm 73, 25 says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Just leave that there for a second. 
Is that true of you? Do you really desire to know God more than you desire for life to go your way? Think about that. Wrestle with that. Do you desire to know God more than you desire for life to go your way? Do you desire God more than you desire a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a child to fill your needs? Do we desire God more than we desire control? or a comfortable life unencumbered by difficult people or situations or financial struggles. Guys, hear this. Putting our hope in anything other than Christ will always lead us away from peace and joy. Putting our hope in anything other than Christ will always lead us away from peace and joy. Guys, there's another huge factor in this whole discussion that I am not going to have time to go into today, so I'm just going to mention it, okay? But one of the reasons why it is so difficult sometimes for us to experience the fullness of the joy and peace that's in us is because we have an enemy whose job it is to kill and steal and destroy everything that God is trying to give to us. And most Christians go throughout their days like they are not in a battle, for their hearts and minds. Most of us live that way. So if we're really going to have some victory in some of these areas that we see sweeping our culture, including in the church, one of the things we have to start with is that we have to create some space to remember who we are, and we have to remember that we are in a battle, and there's an enemy who's trying to rob the very thing we are trying to remember. Okay? And so that's another reason why we need to be in community because we need other people to remind us that that's what's happening so that when life and circumstances and suffering comes our way, we can say to people, hey, listen, guys, there is an enemy. <laughs> it's not like we're just floating through life and just things happen to us for no reason. We're being attacked because Satan fears who we would be if we lived in the fullness of who we are. Can you imagine a bunch of people walking around filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control? You could turn a world around with people like that. I believe in the Holy Spirit. If we believe that, then our life ought to look like we believe we have continual access to the power of God, a God who is committed to transforming every broken thing in us, every broken pattern of thinking and living and operating, we have the power of God in us committed to changing that. So if we are stuck in a rut now, guys, it's not forever. If we lean into the Spirit, God is going to take us more and more into the image of His Son, who our true identity is. He'll take us there if we'll go with Him. We ought to be people bringing hope to the world around us because of the fruit of the Spirit being manifest in our life. I want to do something a little bit different as we close today. I want you guys to stand, okay? I want to leave you guys 
We're going to sing a song still, so hang on, right? I want to leave you guys with this verse, Romans 15, 13. I want to pray it over you as a benediction today. So you can close your eyes. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises and for your provision. God, you promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us, and then you gave us your son who was with those people. And then you went one step further and you gave us your spirit who's in us. God, you brought the fullness of who you are into our hearts. You, you make your home in us. We have access to everything that you've called us to be. We can be it because you're in us, giving us the power to do it. God, help us to live like that's true. Help us to create space. Help us to, to live in solitude. Help us to stop taking pictures and videos of everything sometimes and just sit and just enjoy who you are. Soak it in. Behold. So that we can remember that we ought to be a people filled with joy so that we can be hope and spiritual nourishment to those around us who are desperate to know that they've been adopted, that, that you have got that offer on the table for them to be brought in, to never be alone, to never feel abandoned. All the things that so many people are struggling with in the world, we're the ones that have the information. Help us to remember how vital it is to, to have a battle mindset day in and day out that we have an enemy trying to rob our joy. Help us to do battle for one another. Help us to be a great community who fights for one another's hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?